Father, again, we praise you for how good you are to us. That we can know you. That you have revealed yourself to us. And God, we just ask you again to reveal yourself to us here. Thank you. We praise you for your word to us. We thank you and praise you for sending your son, Jesus. That we might be forgiven and we might have a relationship with you. We praise you for those things. And now, God, we humble ourselves before you to listen to you and to be changed by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Vikings fans, it's almost regular season, right? A little, uh, little training for you here. Get back in the swing of things. If I say Jim Marshall to you, what, what comes into your mind? Maybe a, somebody give me a two-word description. Football? Okay. Can somebody give me a two-word description of Jim Marshall? Something he's very famous for? Wrong way. Thank you. Okay. Jim Mar- Do you know that Jim Marshall had a very long and successful NFL career? He was an all-pro, he had a long career. He is widely remembered, not just by Vikings fans, he was a Minnesota Viking, but he was widely remembered across the NFL because there was one play in his life where the Vikings were playing the 49ers and there was a fumble and and Jim Marshall was on defense and he picked up that football and he ran as hard as he could towards the end zone and he made it all the way into the end zone and I watched this on YouTube, his end zone celebration was to throw the ball out of the end zone. And the first person to come up to him was a San Francisco 49er who said, thank you, we needed that. He ran into the wrong end zone. Boy, never lived that one down. But there's another analogy that I like. It's the analogy I'm sure you've heard of, of climbing the wrong ladder. The analogy goes like this, that, that you or somebody has, has set their ladder up against a really tall building, picture a building so high that maybe the, the top of the building is even covered by the clouds, and this person just sets off with all their might to climb up that ladder, climbing and climbing and climbing, only to realize once they get close to the very end that that ladder was leaning against the wrong building. Now, spiritually speaking, people do these things all the time. Climb the ladder against the wrong building. Run towards the wrong goal. Well, my big idea for today is that we need to live with the right goal in mind. We need to live with the right goal in mind. Spiritually speaking, that means that we are to keep our eyes on Christ. I love how it's said in Hebrews 12:2, where it says, let us fix our eyes on on Jesus. There are lots of other things in this life that we could fix our eyes on. Things like pleasure or success or money or work or hobbies. Lots of other things that we could make our goal in life. But we need to make sure that we have our priorities right and really what we need to do is make sure we have our top priority right. We're going to look at a passage in Philippians today, which, by the way, we're studying the book of Philippians. We're walking through it in a 10-week sermon series here, and you still have time to read it and reread it and get to know it. But in our passage today, the Apostle Paul tells us what the right goal is. And he uses his own life as an example. Now, it's kind of interesting if we follow the flow of the book of Philippians. In chapter 2, Jesus Christ was the example. He is the one who lived his life the right way and we are to have the same attitude as him. Then later on in chapter 2, Paul set up two other guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, as examples that the people of Philippi were supposed to follow. And now in our passage today, Paul's life is the example. 
And, and just a quick note of application here. Paul worked really hard to set a good example for others, and that's something that we should devote our lives to as well. Making sure that if people watch us, that they see a good example of what it means to follow Christ. So again, in our passage today, Paul's setting his life as an example so that we can get a picture of what it means to pursue the right goal. And in order for us to learn from this passage, we need to be honest with ourselves. So I'm just going to ask you, as you're sitting here listening to this sermon, in the quietness of your own heart, just please be honest with yourself. Be honest before God about what your priorities are in life about what your top priority is. So before we dig into this passage, I just want to ask this question. What are you seeking in life? And again, just, just be honest with that. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at our passage today in three sections. We're looking at Philippians 3, verses 1 through 11. The first verse is just an introduction, so that's the first part. Then the second section, verses 2 through 6, Paul explains for us what it means to pursue the wrong goal. And then in verses 7 through 11, he explains what it means to pursue the right goal. So first we're going to look at chapter 3, verse 1, where Paul says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Now in this verse, Paul tells the Philippians something that he has already told them. And something that he is going to tell them again. He says, rejoice in the Lord. In fact, just one chapter later, chapter 4, verse 4, he says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. So he keeps on repeating himself. And he said, it's no trouble for me to do this. He thought it was so important that they know to rejoice that he repeated himself. And by the way, there's a ministry principle in this for us. The, the principle of repeating ourselves. I was just reading in Second Peter 1.12 where Peter says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly, firmly established in the truth you now have. That we just need to be reminded. And this one particularly that Paul said here in 3.1, Rejoice in the Lord. We need to be reminded about that. Now, rejoice and joy are key words in the book of Philippians. You've probably heard it said that the book of Philippians is called the book of joy. And and I think, rightly so, rejoicing and joy are certainly main themes in the book of Philippians. Although I would say that they're secondary because what I've been saying all along is that really the book of Philippians is about Jesus Christ and about how we are to become like him. But, having said that, rejoicing and joy certainly are key themes here in the book of Philippians. And and Paul commands us to rejoice here. And it's helpful to think of rejoicing as a command because it reminds us that joy is not just an emotion. Certainly there are emotional components to it and we should feel that sense of joy within us. But even more than that, joy is a choice we make. Rejoicing is a choice we make to live our lives with a proper attitude. The word rejoice here implies a verbalization. It means things like singing and thanking God and telling others about God and praying to God. So rejoicing for us, do you see how it takes on a a character trait, a, a task that we are to do? And what does it say that we are to do? We are to rejoice in the Lord. There are lots of things that we could rejoice in. But what we're commanded to do here is to set our eyes on God and remember the good things that he has done for us is doing and will do for us. And we rejoice 
in the Lord. So our whole lives are to be lived with the attitude of rejoicing in the Lord. And what Paul's going to do then as he moves on to verses 2 through 6 is to tell us the wrong way to rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Let's read Philippians chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. Watch out for those dogs. It's a beware of dogs passage. Watch out for those dogs, those men who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Okay, so we're talking about doing things the wrong way, and I just want to give another illustration here, just to make sure we're on the same page. I asked Lydia if I could tell this illustration. She's my three-year-old daughter, and she said I could. She, she didn't even wait to hear what it was before she said, sure, go ahead and talk about me. So, we have a game in our house called Sparkle. Does anybody know this game? It's, it's a dice game. Uh, the, the point of this game is to shake the dice, and you try to get certain combinations or pairs of the dice. And th- the, the crux of the game of Sparkle is that you have to figure out when to risk it and when to just keep your points. Because you can keep going and, and keep risking, keep shaking the dice, but you could lose the points that you have accrued on that turn if you make the wrong risk. Now, Lydia has a different goal in mind in the game of Sparkle. She rolls the dice, and there have been times where she has just been getting you know, the luckiest rolls, and she's just getting this, a ton of points masked up, and we'll say to her, Lydia, that is a lot of points. You should, you should stop right there and let the next person go. And invariably, every single time we've done this, what Lydia has said, no, I want to keep going. Because to Lydia, the point of the game is simply to roll the dice. And every time what has happened then is that somehow she lost, the, lost that roll and lost all the points that she had got. Now, she's having fun playing the game, so we're not going to be hard on a three-year-old for doing that, but in the game of Farkle, that's not exactly the way to win. Uh, We need to figure out what goal we're pursuing. We need to figure out the right way to do this. And what Paul warns here is to look out for certain people. He calls them dogs and evildoers. And it's the next description of them that helps us figure out who they are, where he calls them those mutilators of the flesh. It's clear to see from what he mentions in verse 3 that he's talking about circumcision. There were a group of people, and we know this from many other places in the Bible, a group of people who were demanding that Gentiles be circumcised if they wanted to follow the Lord. Now, the apostles and other church leaders had already met and decided this issue. You can read about this in Acts 15. They had already decided that no, Gentiles do not need to be circumcised in order to follow the Lord. That that is not the path that they have to take. Nevertheless, there were these false teachers out there that said, yes, you must be circumcised. And really, what those people were saying was that they trusted in their human actions to make them right with God. They trusted in the physical act of circumcision to to help make them right with God. But Paul in verse 3 makes it clear that we put no confidence in the flesh. He said, we are the circumcision. And what did he mean by that? 
Well, he wasn't talking about physical circumcision. He was talking about spiritual circumcision of the heart. In Romans 2.29, Paul said, Circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. And in Galatians 5.6, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So Paul wasn't very impressed with these people who tried to earn their righteousness before God with what they could do. And even if religious acts could get a person closer to God, what Paul went on to say is, hey, if you want to compare yourself, compare yourself to me. I I had a a better list of things that I had done. So, So listen to this list of all the religious things that Paul had done, things that he will later go on to say didn't help him get any closer to the Lord. But here's his list circumcised on the eighth day, as an eight-day-old baby, exactly according to what the law of the Old Testament said. And not only was he an Israelite, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, which was one of the more faithful tribes. Benjamin, which had the city of Jerusalem inside its borders. And he became a Pharisee, which is a pretty important religious position. And he even worked so hard as to persecute Christians. When he saw those Christians out there whom he thought were blaspheming against the Lord, he persecuted them. That was his religious zeal. And then according to the law, nobody could find fault in him. So if anyone had a right to brag about their religious resume, it was Paul. But verse 3 is key here. Paul says it's not about our flesh. It's not about the efforts that we put into trying to earn righteousness before God. Instead, it's about worshiping, how does he say it in verse 3? We who worship by the Spirit of God, who glory in Christ Jesus. So it's not about physical circumcision or anything else you do to try to earn favor with God. People who do that are what we might call legalists today. Now, I've never met anyone, maybe some of you have, but I've never met anyone in our day and age who has bragged about their circumcision, thinking that they were on their way to God the right way. Uh, Maybe some Jews would do it, but I've never had anybody say that to me. But certainly, we've all come across legalists, people who think that the way to God is to get this list of things that you're supposed to do and then check them off one by one. Today, what would, what would legalists do? Well, they'd come up with their list. I came up with a list that some legalists might have. So here it is. Going to church every Sunday. Being involved in Bible study. Not smoking. Not going to R-rated movies. Not drinking. Reading your Bible. Praying multiple times per day. These are the sorts of things that, that legalists would have on their list. And you know what? I see some value in some of those things. But here's the rub. None of those things, not a single one of them, will allow us to earn righteousness. Too many people in our world today are trying to earn righteousness. Or I've, I've talked to so many people that when I've asked them, you know, do you think that you'll go to heaven? And, and, and if so, why do you think you'll go to heaven? So many people have given the answer, well, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. I do this. I haven't done that. What might your list look like? What kind of things do you have on your list that you think might impress God? Maybe one that we could add to the list for some of you would be, I was raised in a Christian home and I can never remember in my, a time in my life when I rebelled against God. I have my quiet times every day. Now let's take one of those things on the list as an example. Going to church. Is going to church useful? 
Well, I would say it is. Yes, I'm, I'm not asking you to leave here. That's, that's, that'll be the wrong application of this sermon today. Is going to church useful? Yes, it is. But it's not useful if you think that you're earning righteousness before God. Let me put it this way. There are two different kinds of churchgoers. One is the person who comes to church hoping that God is taking attendance. Say, God, did you see me here? Check the little box. I made it today. The other is the kind of person who comes to church expectantly, wanting to worship God and to learn from Him. Which one do you think honors God? And let me say it this way. If you're coming here just hoping to earn points with God, thinking that church attendance is going to somehow earn you something in God's eyes, you might as well just stay home and sleep in. And that's, that's the, the bummer of the deal for the legalists. They think they're doing all these things in order to score points with God, and the fact is you might as well just not even do them. We can't earn our righteousness that way, and we'll talk about that in the next section as we look at it. So again, I think that going to church is very useful but only, only if we have the right attitude in mind. So the goal isn't merely going to church or not smoking. The goal is something else. Legalism, following rules, will not get you to God. So what will get you to God? Well, the answer comes in our next section. Let's read it. Verses 7 through 11. Paul says, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. I want to start in verse 9 there, because it's in verse 9 where Paul really finishes up what he was saying in verses 2 through 6. He talks about the difference between a righteousness from the law, that is the righteousness where we try to earn our favor with God by doing things, a righteousness that we could never attain, versus the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. And that's the gospel message right there. Any of you who want to spend eternity with God, any of you who want to have your sins forgiven, the only way for you to have that kind of righteousness is to receive it from God by faith. Giving your life to Jesus, acknowledging that you're a sinner, and accepting the the life and the righteousness that can come only through Christ. See, this is where many people set their ladder on the wrong building, trying to earn their favor with God. And the problem is, according to Romans 3.23, that all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We could never climb that ladder high enough. And and the reason is, is because it's resting on the wrong building anyways. So this must be our starting point. Righteousness only happens this way through Jesus Christ. And from there, Paul urges us to consider that the right goal to pursue pursue in our lives is the goal of knowing Christ. 
And verse 8 is perhaps the key verse in our passage today. And in fact, uh, I was talking with somebody this week, and, and he said, I think he was just trying to show me up, but he said that maybe chapter 3, verse 8, is the key verse in the whole book. You see, I picked chapter 2, verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. But this guy said verse 8. And, and I started to think, huh, that's a pretty good one too. So uh, anyways... As you're reading through Philippians, again, maybe just come up with your own key verse, your own description. I, I think verse 8 is a great one, so, so he might be right. But verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. The language that Paul uses here is of loss versus gain. It's not the first time he's used the word gain. Back in chapter 121, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Talking about earning something, or I'm not earning, but being given something by God that we could never get on our own. And if the book of Philippians is about becoming more like Christ, which I think it is, then what we see here is how we gain that. And for Paul, it meant considering everything else a loss. And this is what we have to chew on. I've told you, you need to be honest with yourself today if you really want to understand this passage. And what we need to understand here is to have this willingness in our life to consider everything else a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ. See, there are many things that we could live our lives for, but we need to live with the right goal in mind. If we live for ourselves, what are we seeking? We're seeking what we want. And really what I would say is we're seeking what the sinful nature wants. This is the kind of life that Jesus described when a person tried to gain the whole world, but what really happened? Lost his soul. But if we live for Christ, we seek what he wants. And our gain is that we know Christ. So that's the key there. That's the gain, is knowing Christ. To know Christ means to have an intimate relationship with Him. We evangelicals throw out that term a lot, a relationship with God or a relationship with Jesus. Well, here's why we do it. Because our goal is to know Christ. Now, what does it mean to know Christ? That's a difficult question. I kind of wish you hadn't asked it. But... um, no, I, a few weeks ago, remember, in, in, when I preached on chapter 1, verse 21, I said that phrase, to live, for me to live is Christ, I said, I don't really know what that means. It, it's so deep that I, I don't have a full understanding of what it means. And, and I just feel like I need to say the same thing right here. The phrase, knowing Christ, I, I don't know fully what that means. I want to spend the rest of my life trying to figure it out, and that's what I want to urge you to do as well. But boy, that, that is such a rich idea, knowing Christ, that I, I don't think any one of us could say that we've figured it out yet, but that we should all keep pursuing it. But again, since it is my job as pastor to try to explain things for you, I feel the need to, to try to explain what does it mean to know Christ? Well, like I said, it starts off with receiving him, with recognizing that we need to put our ladder against the right wall that we can't earn our way to God, that we need to come in humility to Jesus and receive him as Savior and Lord. And from there, knowing Christ means a moment-by-moment walk with, with him. 
where really every moment of every day is to be taken up with the idea of living for him and with him. Now again, anyone got that one figured out yet? But again, let's keep pursuing. What else does it mean to know Christ? Uh, It means living for what he wants, not what we want. It means having a heart attitude of wanting to honor him and to rejoice in him. Uh, It means putting effort into your walk with him. Walking with Jesus isn't just something that happens by accident. Again, twice we looked at in Philippians chapter 2 this idea of putting hard work into walking with God, into what he has for us. It means doing things like going to church and reading your Bible and praying and tithing, not just as a checkoff list like the legalists do, but as a way for our hearts to connect with God. So think about that. The next time you're reading your Bible, are you doing it just because your pastor told you to do it? Or are you doing it because you desperately want to know Christ more? Think about that. Even you know, the very next time you open your Bible to read it, are you doing this to meet with Christ, to know Him more? Knowing Christ means worshiping. It means loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It means loving your neighbor as yourself. So how's that for a description? I just spent about five minutes telling you what I think it means. And truth be told, I'm not even sure I've described it accurately. You see, knowing Christ is the goal that I am pursuing. But next week, I'll just echo Paul's statements in advance here. I will be the first one to say that I have not been made perfect yet. I haven't attained it yet. But we press on toward that goal of knowing Christ. And I want you to do that too. Because we need to live with the right goal in mind. The goal, again, is knowing Christ. Everything else, Paul says, is loss or rubbish. Now that word rubbish, maybe you've heard before, it can mean dung. It could also mean refuse. I I saw one theologian this week that tied it into verse 2 where they talked about dogs and he said that this, this rubbish might be the food that was fit only for dogs. And remember, 2,000 years ago, most dogs weren't house pets. They were kind of stray scavengers. They would just be looking for any sort of food that they could find out on the street. So maybe taking it into our day and age, I, I want to give you an illustration of what rubbish is. I want you to picture that somebody has prepared for you your very favorite meal. And I'd love to hear what that is, by the way. I'm, I'm kind of a... I enjoy eating food. What's your favorite meal? I was thinking about one of my favorite home-cooked meals, chicken and biscuits that Christine makes. So let's just say that you have all ready for you at your house. It's already set on the plate. You can eat your very favorite meal. Or you could say to yourself, uh, on my drive home, I noticed that just outside our house, uh, there was a, a squirrel that was killed on the road. And I think I might go out and eat that instead. Well, no. No, none of us would ever even consider that. Favorite meal versus roadkill squirrel. We would never do it. But spiritually speaking, we see this all the time around us. People pursuing something else besides Christ that can only be be described as lost or rubbish. Why? Why? because they don't know the value of Christ. And if we're honest with ourselves, there are times in our lives when we don't know the surpassing greatness of Christ. 
Again, verse 8 is wonderful. I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, dung, roadkill. For Paul, loss was the mindset of not seeking Christ. For Paul, everything that he did in his life that didn't help him know Christ was considered loss. And for me, honestly, that was a difficult one to understand. Now, it's easy to understand how persecuting Christians could be considered to be lost. But what about all those years that Paul would have spent as a Pharisee before he came to know Christ, all those years he spent studying Old Testament scripture, memorizing it, learning it, teaching it to others. How is that loss? Well, on, on one hand, we would say, well, God used that because you think about how the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans and all the times that he quoted the Old Testament in there. God used that knowledge that he had. But even so, I think that Paul would look at that section of his life and say, all those things that I was doing, I was doing them for the wrong reason and none of them helped me know Christ. And therefore it's lost. And it helps me understand that even some of the religious things that we do, we're doing with the wrong heart attitude and they're not actually helping us know Christ any better. That's why we need to be honest with ourselves and to investigate these heart motives and say, are we doing this because I want to know Christ? The only thing that counts is knowing Christ. That's why Paul said in verse 10, I want to know Christ. He went on to say that he wanted to know the power of Christ's resurrection. I think what that meant is that Paul wanted to know the power of the risen Christ in his daily life. Uh, Brian read part of a prayer in Ephesians 1.17 uh, at the call to worship. And just after that, Paul also prayed that we would know the incomparably great power at work in us. And he described that power. He said that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he used to, to raise Christ from the dead. So think about that. The power of the resurrection at work in you is the power of God to do what he wants to do in you to accomplish his purposes. That's, that's the resurrection power. That's what Paul wanted to know as he knew Christ. Paul went on to say that he wanted to share in the fellowship of Jesus' sufferings and become like Jesus in his death. What does that mean? Well, for Jesus, following the Father meant a difficult path, a path of suffering and eventually death on a cross. And for us, as we follow the, God, the, the path that God has for us, there might be suffering for us. There might even be death for us. But we choose to follow whatever it is that God has for us. And as we do that, as we keep our eyes on Christ, we become more like Him. And for all of us who follow Christ by faith, who persevere till the end, the promise for God, from God for us is that we attain to the resurrection from the dead, eternal life in a glorified body in, in the best place you could ever imagine, something even far better than that. But all this comes only if we pursue the right goal, the goal of knowing Christ. And if we do, we will begin to understand the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. We'll begin to understand what it means to gain Christ. I, I was just looking at all the descriptions in here. Um, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ, gaining Christ, being found in Him, having righteousness from God by faith, becoming like Him, and eventually will be resurrected to live with Him forever. 
pretty cool stuff. And what it comes down to is a choice for us. Either we choose to live according to what we want, or we choose to know Christ and live for Him. Either we make knowing Christ our goal, or we choose something else that in the end will be shown to be loss or rubbish. But again, as we look around us, we see people living like that all the time. And if we're honest with ourselves, we can notice ourselves straying from the right path sometimes. Why? Because it's so easy to live for ourselves, for pleasure, for money, for success. What is it for you? I said earlier, earlier, you'll need to be honest with yourself. We're comparing the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ versus loss or rubbish. So I have some application questions for you. What does knowing Christ mean? I tried to give you my description, stumbled my way through it. What does it mean for you? To know Christ. And and even more important than having an answer to that question, are you pursuing that as the goal of your life? So another question, how adamantly should we pursue the goal of knowing Christ? I was talking with a young believer once about uh, he, he had prayed to receive Christ and wanted to walk with God and we were talking about how he should give his life to Christ, live with him as Lord and King. And, and he asked me the question, you know, how should I do this? Uh, in moderation, right? He said. And I just kind of sat back and said, no. This is the one thing in all your life that you should not do in moderation. We should do this with reckless abandon, pursuing the goal of knowing Christ. I love how Jesus put it in Matthew 6.33. He said, Seek first His, the Father's kingdom, and His righteousness, and all these things, the other things that we worry about, food, clothes, whatever it might be, all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus didn't say, Well, you know, knowing God is one of many important things in your life, but make sure to take some time away from that in order to do these other things that you need to No. He said, you follow God and God will take care of what you need. Now it's not that we ignore our needs. It's that we seek God and ask him to guide us into what he wants. It's not that you quit your job and just go up on a mountain and seek God all day long. It's that in your job you work for him as if working for the Lord it stays in scripture. So how adamantly should we pursue the goal of knowing Christ? Well, for me, it's the most important thing in my life. And you know what that means? It means that other things aren't. It means sometimes that other things have to get pushed aside. Another application question. What rubbish might get in your way as you seek to know Christ? Now again, there are lots of things that we could pursue but nothing should get in the way of us knowing Christ. Now, uh, I, I want you to think about that. What in your life, what rubbish in your life might actually get in the way of you pursuing Christ? I'm playing softball this summer, and uh, all we have to do is win our next four games against three of the best teams in the league, and we're champions tomorrow. So um, <laughs> come out and cheer us on. Uh, but for some people, in the summertime, softball is life. Uh, 
And, and I could easily get distracted and let softball take a more important place in my life than it deserves. Um, I could, you know, start to get mad at the umpire. Not that that would ever happen. Wait, no. Uh, I repented of that one. Um, but I need to remind myself that softball is not the goal. Getting a hit is not the goal. The goal of whatever we do is knowing Christ and we let him guide us into what we should be in. And for some of you, what that might mean is that some of this rubbish, you need to have a, a proper attitude as you know, not letting this hobby or, or work dominate your life. And, and some of it, maybe you need to say, I just need to get that out of my life. I hope I've made myself clear here. The goal is knowing Christ, and we are to pursue that goal and that goal alone in life. Everything else is loss or rubbish. Okay, then just a very quick conclusion here to wrap up this passage. Paul started off by telling us to rejoice in the Lord, and he went on to talk about knowing Christ. And it's really two sides of the same coin. Rejoicing in the Lord means worshiping Him and praising Him as we go. Knowing Christ means... You tell me. It, it means pursuing him with all our heart. Considering him as of surpassing greatness. So, one more line of questioning. Over the last year of your life, I want you to think back. All the things that you have accomplished, all the things that you have pursued, the question is this. Have you come to know Christ more? Have you come to be more like him? That's a humbling thing to think about all the things that we put so much energy into in our lives. Have you come to know Christ more? And then as we look ahead, that should be the goal. Do you want to know Christ more? We need to live with the right goal in mind. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for putting this before us. We know that you are worthy of our whole lives. So God, right now we come before you and we know that we don't have the strength to do this in and of ourselves, yet we ask you to strengthen us to live rightly with the right goal in mind, with the goal of knowing Christ and becoming like him. God, would you do that in us? Would you fill us with the Holy Spirit and strengthen us to walk rightly with you and to know Christ more and more? Teach us what is rubbish in our lives and how we can with single-minded attention focus our lives on knowing Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.